As Gentiles came into the church and acknowledged the God of Israel as their God, they became New Testament Israelites, just as the ancient proselytes became Old Testament Israelites. Thus Christian believers originally were and continue to be New Testament Israelites, and the New Covenant relates exclusively to them. This is in accordance with Paul's teaching elsewhere, for he says, They that are of faith, the same are sons of Abraham. Galatians 3.7 And again, there can be neither Jew nor Greek, there can be neither bond nor free, there can be no male and female, for ye are all one man in Christ Jesus. And if ye are Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Galatians 3 verses 28 and 29 He says that Christ has broken down the middle wall of partition between Jews and Gentiles that he might reconcile them both in one body unto God through the cross. Ephesians 2 verses 14 through 16 Again he refers to New Testament believers as the Israel of God. Galatians 6.16 Paul here says that in matters of faith the spiritual relationship takes precedence over the physical and that all true believers are sons of Abraham. And conversely, we may say that those who are not true believers are not sons of Abraham in any sense worthy of the name, regardless of what their ancestry may be. Paul uses strong words to assert his teaching on this subject. How could you declare more positively than he does here that the old distinction between Jew and Gentile has been wiped out? In the church there are no promises or privileges given to any one group or nationality which do not apply equally to all others. The small minority of Jews who originally constituted the New Testament church are but another example of the remnant doctrine found in various parts of the Bible. Beginning with the family of Abraham, only Isaac was the heir, while Ishmael and the six sons of Keturah were cast off. And of Isaac's sons, not Esau, but only Jacob received the promises. Repeatedly after apostasy, in Israel only a small proportion returned to the Lord. Isaiah wrote, For though thy people, Israel, be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them shall return. From the captivity in Babylon, chapter 10, verse 22. Micah spoke of the remnant of Israel chapter 2 verse 12 as also did Zechariah of the remnant of this people returning to dwell in Jerusalem chapter 8 verses 6 through 8 in accordance with this Paul cited the remnant of the Jews as constituting the New Testament church chapter 9 verse 27 these alone were the Lord's people and the others were cast off never to be reinstated except when they as individuals turn and look to Christ as Savior. We should point out further that those who today popularly are called Jews are not in reality Jews at all. Legitimate Judaism, as it existed in the Old Testament era, was of divine origin and had a very definite content of religious and civil laws, priesthood, ritual, sacrifices, temple, Sabbath, etc., But with the destruction of Jerusalem and the dispersion of the people in A.D. 70, that system was effectively destroyed. It has not since been practiced anywhere in the world. Any Jew who acknowledges the authority of the Old Testament finds himself faced with this dilemma. Either he must accept Christ as he is revealed in the New Testament, 
or there is no way for him to approach God except through a reinstitution of the Old Testament ritual and sacrifices. But present-day Jewry is in no mood to reinstitute the ritual and sacrifices. Because of their rejection of Christ, the Jews have been forced to move farther and farther away from the Old Testament, and many have lost faith in any promised Messiah, in any future life, and even in God himself. Having established the state of Israel, the Jews have found that traditional Judaism is not in harmony with the ideas of 20th century life, nor is it compatible with the functioning of a modern state. And having come into possession of the city of Jerusalem, the question as to whether or not the temple should be rebuilt has suddenly become a moot question, for present-day Judaism has no use for a temple, and in fact would not know what to do with it if it had one. The present situation is that Judaism has developed for itself a book of rabbinical writings which is a collection of religious and civil laws with commentary, known as the Talmud. This was produced after the time of Christ and was completed about the year A.D. 500. It is not of divine origin but is a man-made system of religion which was developed by the rabbis. It has become the primary object of study in the schools and synagogues and has almost completely displaced the Old Testament. Hence, present-day Judaism is not only different from the religion of the Old Testament, it even belongs to a different class of religions. For the religion of the Old Testament, like that of the New, presented salvation as the free, unmerited grace of God, whereas present-day Judaism is, in its very essence, a system of salvation by works of human merit. Although the Jews of today may think better of Jesus than did those of former times, some even acknowledging him as a great teacher, this is of very little practical importance since they still think of salvation in terms of human merit and human achievement. Hence the system should not be called Judaism but Talmudism, and those who practice that system should not be called Jews but Talmudists. As these things bear upon the reestablishment of the state of Israel, we must say that this project, carried out almost exclusively by unbelieving Jews, is not of God in the sense that it was foretold by his prophets, or that his blessing is upon it. Rather, it is a humanistic project which in all probability is headed for increasingly serious trouble. Although the Jewish people have a consuming zeal for the land of Palestine, their real need is not Palestine, but Christ. And never will they find real peace, individually or as a nation, until they turn in faith to him. Luke 18, verse 8, and the Millennial Controversy Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? This verse has been used by premillennialists as the chief support for their view that the church is to be in a state of apostasy at the time of the second coming of Christ. And it has been a difficult one indeed, quite a thorny one for postmillennialists to answer. We believe, however, that when seen in its true context, the difficulty largely disappears. Some verses in Luke 17:22 through chapter 18, verse 8, are closely parallel to others in the 24th chapter of Matthew. In Matthew 24, the time verse of the chapter is verse 34, which reads, 
Verily I say unto you, This generation shall not pass away till all these things be accomplished. Since this excludes the earlier verses in this chapter from referring to the second coming of Christ, the same must be true of those in the passage in Luke. Consequently, we believe that in Luke 18, verse 8, Christ was referring not to his second coming, but to his coming in judgment to the apostate Jewish nation, particularly his coming to the city of Jerusalem in the year A.D. 70. Compare the following verses. Luke 17, verse 23. And they shall say to you, Lo there, lo here, go not away, nor follow after them. And Matthew 24, verses 4 and 5. And Jesus answering said unto them, Take heed that no man lead you astray, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and shall lead many astray. In Luke 17, verses 26 through 29, the sudden destruction which came upon the people in the days of Noah, also that which came in the days of Lot, is cited. And then in verses 30 and 31 we read, After the same manner shall it be in the day that the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he that shall be on the housetop and his goods in the house, let him not go down to take them away, and let him that is in the field likewise not turn back. And in Matthew verses 15 through 18 we read, When therefore ye see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let him that readeth understand, then let them that are in Judea flee unto the mountains, let him that is on the housetop not go down to take out the things that are in his house, and let him that is in the field not return back to take his cloak. In Luke 17, verse 37, we read, Where the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. And Matthew 24:28 says, Wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Almost an exact parallel. And we have indicated elsewhere that the eagle was at that time the symbol of Roman power. See page 200. Hence Luke 18.8 seems quite clearly to refer not to a condition which is to be in existence at the time of Christ's second coming, but to his coming in judgment upon the city of Jerusalem in the year A.D. 70. This is the end of the book. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D, M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. 
and remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.